1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, and one of one a kind, and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 25 through 35. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Word of the Lord. All right. Hey, good morning. So good to see you this morning. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Destiny, for reading that. Uh, so, hey, if you're here and maybe you haven't been to church in a while or maybe you have a, a, a relationship with the church that is marked by pain and hurt and you're back today, I want to just say thank you for being here. Uh, we want to try to create a safe place for you to wrestle with some of the claims of Christianity and really just glad you're here. I think this is a perfect series for someone that's trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus because here's the reality. The reality is when your life becomes submitted to the authority of Jesus, it begins to change the way that you see all the aspects of your life. It actually infuses your life with a level of meaning and significance that you didn't have prior to that. And now all of a sudden your relationship to various things become really, really different. So that's the idea. That's the concept of this series, Rooted. It's looking at what happens when we're rooted in Jesus and how that plays itself out in day-to-day -day life. So last week we talked about marriage, and today we're going to be talking about singleness. This is such an important deal, and I want to just start by defining what I mean by singleness so that you don't uh, kind of miss that I'm talking to you in the room. Here's what I mean by singleness. I mean anyone who is not married, right? So let's just keep it really simple. If you're not married, then uh, this is a sermon really specifically for you. So that could be if you're pre-married. That could be if you are divorced or widowed. That could be if you're single and very happy. You love it. Or you're single and you're not so happy and you don't really like it. It doesn't matter where you land on the spectrum. If you are not married, then you are what I'm referring to as single. And I also want to just give this caveat because I think this is, this is such a great room of diversity. We've got so many different people with a lot of different backgrounds and stories. 
I will not be able to say everything that there is to say about singleness in a sermon. We don't have hours and hours and hours. We just get one sermon. So here's what I want to say. If you are interested in learning and studying more about God's vision and his heart behind singleness, I cannot highly recommend this book enough. It's, it's written by a man named Barry Danilak, and it's called Redeeming Singleness. Redeeming Singleness. So check that book out. It is absolutely phenomenal. And he goes from Old Testament to New, unpacking the vision of God behind singleness. So th- just know that there, there's stuff that he's going to cover in a book that I absolutely just won't have the time to hit. So with all of those caveats, uh, let's jump in and try to understand what God's heart is behind singleness. Before we do that, I just want to ask you uh, to think about this. Like when you think of singleness, what comes to mind? When you start to, to ponder life as a single person, maybe you think it's good. You're here in the room and you're like, yeah, singleness is a really, really good thing. There's a, a guy that isn't a follower of Jesus, and he said this. He said, I live alone, and it's brilliant. No nagging wife to shower with gifts or money. I'm 23, and I only plan to lose my freedom, get hitched at 43. So his view of singleness is great. And with that view, he really doesn't need to worry about losing his freedom or ever getting hitched, right? That's just not going to be something that is in this man's future. Maybe you think singleness is good because your life is so full and busy right now. Uh, At one point in her career, Christina Aguilera said, right now I'm pretty single. My career is my boyfriend, right? I just, I don't have time for anything else. And then maybe you think singleness is good because your experience of marriage was so bad. Uh, A man online said, I've been married for 10 years. I pray for death every day, either mine or hers. It has to be better than this hellhole I live in right? Really awesome thing to say. So for whatever reason, maybe you're here in the room and you're like, yeah, singleness is a good thing. Maybe not though. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't feel uh, like singleness is good at all. It feels bad to me. The late John Lennon's wife in an interview said, being alone is very difficult. Being alone is very difficult. Uh, The soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo has been in the news as of late for various things. He said, I don't like being single I don't like being alone. So for him, being single equals being alone. So it's bad for him. It's painful. Maybe you're here and you're somewhere in the middle or you're torn between the two because you see the pros and you see the cons. And so you're torn between the two. Someone online said, I'm happily married, but sometimes I yearn to be able to go when and where I want without having to tell anyone else. I love my husband, but if he died, I wouldn't remarry. Another uh, person, the actress Jodie Foster, she said, I fear being alone, but I need lots of solitude. That's always been a tug of war for me. In other words, Jodie Foster saying, the, the thing about singleness that's really great is that I'm single, but the thing about singleness that's really hard is that I'm single, and she's torn between those two. And then I think to complicate matters, uh, if you take a look at secular culture, and then you take a look at the culture inside of the church, there's often these stigmas on both marriage and singleness that make things really, really hard to figure out. So uh, the, the, the secular culture kind of has this stigma on marriage that tends to be really pessimistic towards marriage. We talked about that last week. But often the culture in the church, and sometimes even in Oklahoma being in the Bible Belt, the, the culture in the ter- church tends to be really pessimistic towards singleness, the, the secular culture tends to view marriage as caving in, right? Don't do that because you're going to give up your freedom, whereas the church often views long-term singleness as failure. The, the, the secular culture that we live in often puts pressure on you to stay single. 
Don't get married. Don't, don't get that anchor wrapped around your throat. Don't, don't give away your freedom. Like, just, there's a pressure to stay an autonomous, free individual. But the church often is pressuring people into marriage, right? The culture views marriage as second best. The church tends to view singleness as second rate. And then finally, the, the culture idolizes independence and freedom. And the church tends to idolize marriage, family, and quote-unquote leaving a legacy. And so this is so interesting, isn't it? Because in Oklahoma, you feel the current of both the secular culture and the Bible Belt broken church culture. And there's all this confusion and all this stigma. And we just need to pause and ask the question, what is God's heart behind this idea of singleness? What's the vision that he has? And that's a really great question because it's the same question that the church at Corinth was asking the Apostle Paul. In this passage that Destiny just read for us, what's happening is the Apostle Paul is responding to this church in Corinth who is asking him a list of questions. He helped plant the church, and he had a lot of influence in the church, and so now they're, at, they're writing a letter to him saying, what do we do about marriage? What do we do about singleness? What do we do about sexuality? Uh, it was a pagan culture that had a really broken view of sex and sexuality, didn't understand the concept of marriage. Some who are married to people that weren't followers of Jesus were trying to get divorced so that they could just not have uh, a pagan in their life. And other people that were single were trying to figure out, do I stay single or do I get married? And how does this all work? So they're writing questions to the Apostle Paul. And the book of 1 Corinthians is his response to each of these questions. That's why if you read the book, it's, it feels really random. But he's going from one topic to the next that feel odd, but it's just because he's responding to their questions. And when we get to chapter 7, something happens where he gives us a little bit of God's heart and his vision behind singleness and, and the beauty that it is. So there are just four things that I want to unpack from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's the first one. Singleness is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift. Now let me pause right there. Uh, if you're single in the room, I know that probably in your heart of hearts, you're like, easy for you to say, happily married pastor. Thank you for that. You got married when you were 21, and you don't know what it's like to, me, to be me. And I just want to respond and say, you're right. I don't know what it's like to be you, and I can't imagine the difficulty that, that, that it might be. But I want to just tell you that this is not my opinion. This isn't my word. Hey, singleness is a gift. Let's go to somebody who actually was single and actually was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Two good reasons why we should listen to what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot ex exercise self-control, sexually speaking, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So here's what I love about what Paul is doing here. He refuses to cave into either the cultural stigma on marriage or the, often the church's stigma on singleness. He doesn't hold up marriage and, and say, this is what's valuable, and then devalue singleness. But he also doesn't hold up singleness and say, this is what's valuable, and then devalues marriage. He actually holds both up, and he says, these are gifts from God to be received, to be enjoyed, to be embraced. These are gifts from God and singleness. He actually uses this word is a spiritual gift. The same word for gift he uses for things like prophecy or things like healing or administration later on in 1 Corinthians. What he's saying is being single is a spiritual gift that God has given. Now this is interesting because 
if you were in the first century and you were reading this letter, that would have been culturally breathtaking to you because of the way that culture viewed singleness in his day. Especially for an ex-Jewish Pharisee to be talking about how singleness is such a gift, that would have been shocking for this cultural moment. Shocking for them. Uh, one first century Jewish rabbi, he, th- this is kind of him touting the, the traditional view of singleness in his day. He says this, Any man who has no wife is no proper man. Tell us how you really feel, rabbi. For it is said, male and female, he created them. He's quoting from Genesis, and he's like, God made a male and female. If you claim to be a man and you're not married, you're not even a man. Rabbi Joshua confirms, do not say, I shall not get married, but get married and produce sons and daughters, and so increase procreation in the world. If you go back and you study ancient culture, traditionally, both in Jewish culture and in pagan culture, singleness was devalued at every turn. It was belittled. You were seen as someone that wasn't fully human if you weren't married and if you didn't have kids. Why is that? Well, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but let me just quickly give you a few. Uh, having children, specifically sons, in an ancient culture was such a big deal because it was an economic asset. It was free labor. So you think about kind of life in that society where you're farming and agricultural context. To have children, specifically sons, meant that it wasn't just you out in the field working, but it was actually you you had help to produce, and that's what helped you economically in that day and age. In addition to that, sons would provide for their parents in their old age. So today we've got 401ks and retirement planning, but in the ancient world, what you had as a retirement plan was kids. They're going to take care of mom and dad in their old age. In addition to that, in ancient societies, what families would do is they would pass on their wealth and their possessions and their inheritance and even their legacy through their children. So if you didn't have any kids, specifically sons, then what was happening in the ancient world is that your your name would die out, your inheritance and all of that would just be given away to strangers. And then finally, in particular, if you were a Jewish person in this context, what was happening as a Jewish person is you believed to the depth of your core that God was advancing his kingdom and his mission in the world through procreation, through biologically having babies. That's how the people of God are expanding over the face of the earth, and that's how the the kingdom of God is coming in power. So to be married was a big deal. To have kids was a big deal. And, and, and if you didn't have those things, you didn't have dignity, you didn't have value, and you didn't have worth. And yet Paul, in breathtaking manner, what he says in 1 Corinthians 7 is that in the kingdom of God, actually there's a different structure and a different order. And it's not those who are married that have the value and those who are single or not. He says if you are married or single, both are an assigned, given gift from God, and he has value for you in both of those things. This is a big deal. Now, why is singleness such a gift? Well, he's going to unpack why as we just keep digging in. So let me give you the second thing as he's starting to answer the question, why is singleness such a gift? Here's the second thing I want you to see, that the grass isn't necessarily greener. The grass isn't necessarily greener. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, and if you're curious, what is a betrothed person in this culture? That's someone who is eligible for marriage but isn't yet married. So concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He's like, guys, I'm the Apostle Paul. Trust me on this one, right? 
I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, now look at what he says. Those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. And he goes on. Look at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. Now follow his argument here. He says, the unmarried man is anxious, but what is he anxious about? The things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. One of the things that's so interesting, if you just look at human culture, is the level of dissatisfaction that all of us tend to have with our current state of things. So if you're single, it's easy to look at those who are married and go, man, I've got these challenges, but if I were married, I wouldn't have the same challenges. Life would be so much better. And it's easy to be married sometimes and look at those who are single and go, man, I've got these challenges in marriage. If I weren't married, I I wouldn't have those challenges. If I were single like them, life would be easier. And I think what Paul's doing here is he's trying to say, listen, both marriage and singleness, they have their unique sets of challenges. But the, the thrust of this whole argument here is he's trying to get us to consider singleness because of the challenges of marriage. This is really interesting. Life isn't necessarily, the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. Well, let me just give you some unique challenges that I think uh, happen to those of you who are single. And this is coming from getting feedback and input from uh, several of you that I love and trust, trying to, trying to have you speak into the struggle and the, the complication of being single. First is the challenge of sex. For the single person, this is a real challenge. I mean, you think about our cultural moment right now and its view of sex and sexuality. We have elevated this gift of sex to such a degree that it's as important as food and water and air. And to have that is to have life. And if you can't have that, then you can't have any life with any beauty or any thriving or any flourishing. And so what happens is when you start to read Jesus and his very clear, clear teachings on sex and sexuality where Jesus says, listen, if you are not married in the context of a man or a woman, you are not in that covenant of marriage, then you absolutely cannot engage in sex whatsoever, period, full stop, end of the conversation, you just can't. That's the clear teachings of Jesus on sex. And then what happens is because of our cultural moment and this view of sex, that's a really, really tough thing to receive as a single person. It's really tough. And there's this challenge, I think, that probably was there in their day, but is almost intensified and heightened in our day today, where to be faithful to Jesus and to be pure uh, in, in your body and, and to have Jesus as Lord, not just over your heart, but over your sexuality, is a unique challenge that those of us who are married need to be spending a lot of time praying for and encouraging and fighting for the help and the purity of our single friends. It's a unique challenge to being single. Another challenge, I think, to being single is often the challenge of loneliness. It's not that uh, every single person is lonely, but there are times where as a single person, from what you have told me, there are times where 
even the best roommates and the best friends, it still doesn't replace what it might feel like to have a spouse. Maybe you feel this on certain holidays. You're like, yeah, Valentine's Day is stupid, right? Because you feel this every Valentine's you know, why do we have that as a culture? And, and, and it's just a reminder of this reality. You feel at times lonely in a way that you can't really fully articulate. I think another challenge as a single person is the challenge of the future. As you start to grow old and you're still single, who will care for me in my old age? What's retirement going to look like? Who's going to help me transition and process those things? I think another challenge to being single is the challenge of uh, misconceptions and the incident, in, wow, I can't say that word, the rude things that people say to you, right? <laughs> we'll just simplify. I think this is often a challenge for you. So here's a misconception. Hey, if you're single, you must have so much free time on your hands. You're just lounging on the couch, eating bonbons, blazing through Netflix, right? Uh, and, and for you as a single person, you're like, that's not my life at all. I work full-time, I go to school, I pay the bills, I clean my house, I do the dishes, I do yard work, I do all of the things that you do, I just do it without help. That's really, really tough. You're not just lounging around in your free time. There's also insensitive statements, there it is, like, why are you still single? Or, your biological clock is ticking. Or, you can't be too picky. Or, when are you going to get married? These are statements that as a culture we often make in the church. And I just want to, could we outlaw the statement, your biological clock is ticking? Could we like, out like, that's never allowed to be said in church ever, right? Can I get an amen from anyone who that resonates with? Okay, great. So there's challenge, here, here's my point. There are challenges to being single that I think as married people you don't have in the same way. But, follow Paul's argument, there are challenges to being married that you don't have in the same way as a single person. Like this, the challenge of sex. Did you know that when you get married, that doesn't go away? This challenge, because of our culture putting so much value and emphasis on it, it puts a, a strain on many marriages as we, as we try to figure out how to, how to be sexually pure and faithful to this one person for the rest of my life. And how to also enjoy my own sexual pleasure from this one person for the rest of my life. That's a challenge, right? This is a challenge. In fact, most married couples that I know fight about two things all the time reoccurring in their marriage. The conflict comes around money and around sex. So it's not like if you get married, your sexual challenges go away. There's also the challenge of commitment. Not that if you're single, you don't have this, but not in the same way. There's the challenge of commitment. I have, I've got to not get divorced to this person right? Step one. I, I, I have to not separate. I've got to stay emotionally and relationally committed to this one person for the rest of my life. I've got to be a good student of this one person. It's unique. There's the challenge of worldly troubles, as Paul calls it. Inevitably, if you're married, your interests are divided. Uh, yes, you are first a Christian and then married, but in terms of priority for people in your life, there is a deal where your husbands, you're to love your wife like Christ loves the church. And wives, you have this new role as a wife to, to respect your husband. So there's this unique thing that happens where in terms of priority, they go up and your interests become divided and that produces worldly troubles. Often raising children and placing priority on the family and trying to be a good dad and mom that doesn't totally screw up and neglect your kids. It's an interesting challenge. And then I think... If you're married, the, there's what I call the double trouble challenge. What is that? Well, uh, some people have phenomenal marriages that are almost uh, more easy than, than others.
But some of you have really, really hard marriages. They're really difficult, and it's always been hard. And you've never fully seen things eye to eye. And instead of it multiplying joy and beauty in your life, it tends to compound sorrow and pain and heartache and sadness. Some of the most isolated, lonely people I know are people that are struggling in their marriage. So this is the the thing that Paul is trying to say is, hey, don't, don't sit on one side or the other and go, well, it'll just be so much easier if I... No, it wouldn't. Both have their challenges. But Paul is trying to say, if you are single, don't rush into marriage because there's some unique things that happen. I actually want to have you consider the possibility of a life of singleness. I want you to consider that. And that leads me to the third thing. If this is true, if, if we have these challenges, then, then what does it look like? What are we supposed to do with Paul's teaching here and the teaching of Scripture? Well, here's the third thing I want you to see. Embrace your reality. And I say this pastorally. Not like, just embrace your reality, for crying out loud. No, it's learn to embrace your reality. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 7, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him or her. This is my rule in all the churches. Paul's rule in all the churches, just lead the life that God's assigned to you. And then look at what he says in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, those who are uh, eligible for marriage but not yet married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the, uh, the view of the present distress, It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Here's the encouragement that Paul would give you. The single man, he would say, brother, sister, could you embrace the sovereignty of God in your life? That he is a father who knows what's good and right and best for you. And it's not like he has all these gifts that he's unwilling to give you. No, he is actually lovingly, thoughtfully, wisely, carefully assigned your type of life to you. Are you single? You've been assigned that life. You might be single for two days, two months, 20 years. It doesn't matter. He is assigned this season of your life. What would it look like to embrace it? Because you are not second class. This isn't God's second best. This isn't him holding out on you. It really truly is Jesus plus nothing else equals full satisfaction and identity and meaning. And this is what he's giving you. What would it look like to embrace it? What would it look like to embrace singleness as a spiritual gift? Every spiritual gift that's mentioned in scripture is mentioned as something that's empowered by the Holy Spirit for the good of the church and for the furthering of the mission of God. And what he's saying to singles is, listen, if you're a single person, you are being empowered by the Spirit for your phase of life. That it's for the good of the church. It's actually beneficial for us. And it's going to push the kingdom forward. He's giving value and worth to this season of your life. And then finally, what would it look like to not only embrace the sovereignty of God, and this is a spiritual gift, what would it look like to embrace singleness from an eternal perspective? Did you know that marriage is going to go away one day? But the church that you've been called into, that won't ever go away. The kingdom of God won't ever go away. You are living something that has eternal value. It's unbelievable to think about your life, not as you living the last chapter, like, oh gosh, I gotta hurry and ring by spring and ah. No, no, no. if, If you're in your life and you're even near the end of your life, you're only the intro of the book. From an eternal perspective, there's so much more yet to unfold for you. 
And you don't have to buy the lie of culture that says you've got to enjoy and, and take in and experience everything on this side of eternity or else you'll die and you'll, you'll miss out. No, that's not true. If you are in Jesus, you can enjoy certain things on this side of eternity and say no to a whole lot because there's so many more yeses on the other side of eternity that have even more joy than what you could ever have here. It's an eternal perspective that's hard to embrace at times, but good. And here's what I'm saying by saying embrace your reality. I'm not saying, hey, quit being sad about being single. Some of you are sad, and that's okay. It's not like, I just got to pray as if I'm content, and then God will bring me the husband or the wife. Or No, no, no. He sees your heart. If you're, if you're struggling with contentment, you can just tell him, Father, I'm struggling to be content in this season of life. Maybe you're older, and you're thinking about children and the possibility of not having children, and that makes you sad. You know, one of the things that God wants from you is not to just be happy. He wants you to take your sadness and say, man, I, I wanted biological kids. This is not what I thought my life would look like, but it looks like this. And allow him to love you in that place. I'm not saying just get over it. I'm saying ask by the help of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the gift of contentment to embrace it and to maximize it for the glory of God. And that leads me to the last thing. Live in wholehearted devotion to Jesus, regardless of whether you're married or single. But I want to specifically apply this to those of you who are single. Live in wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Ultimately, this is what makes singleness so beautiful. Look at verse 35. I say this, all these things, for your own benefit, not to lay a, any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to, look at this, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Do you know what Paul wants in this text and why he's encouraging you to a life of singleness? A life of singleness? He's encouraging that. He's encouraging you to say no to marriage and yes to a life of singleness. Do you know why? Because he wants you to be able to step into pure and undivided devotion to Jesus. And there's a way you can do that as a single person that is unique and powerful and beautiful. And if you disagree, this is the clear teachings of Jesus himself. In Matthew 19, he, he does this little talk on marriage, and then he transitions from marriage, and he talks about singleness, and he says these words. It's confusing, but I'll unpack it. In verse 11, he says, Not everyone can receive the saying, but only to those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. What does that mean? Well, he's saying a few things here. He's saying that, you know, there's a few different ways. If you think about what a eunuch is, there's a few different ways to be a eunuch. Some people in his day and in our day are born with a birth defect. Their sexual organs uh, have a birth defect, and so they're eunuchs by birth, unable to uh, have biolog biological children. Others uh, were eunuchs made so by other people. In this context and culture, often it would be uh, a military conquest. People would come into your neighborhood, and they'd uh, basically turn you into slaves, and a lot of the men and ladies would, would have, like, gender mutilation or castration or something to that effect. So they were made eunuchs by men and turned into lifelong slaves of other people. But then Jesus says this really weird, interesting thing at the very end. He says, but there, there are some who are eunuchs, They've been, made, they've been made eunuchs by themselves for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, here's the thing. Like, theologians and commentaries agree across the board that he is not talking about someone who has mutilated their own gender. He's talking about someone who says no to the gift of marriage 
so that they can say yes to the gift of singleness and embrace it. Why? For the sake of laboring like crazy in the kingdom of God. That's amazing. Maybe you're here in the room and you're in a season of singleness. Maybe you're in a life of singleness, but Jesus is saying some of you, you've actually said no to marriage and you've said yes to a fuller, richer life in the kingdom of God. And he says, I know that not everybody can receive this, but that's amazing. That's amazing. Here's what Barry Danilak says in his great book, Redeeming Singleness. A eunuch for the kingdom is voluntarily so for the sake of serving the king and the kingdom. Voluntary eunuchs are those who recognize that their assignments from God, whatever it is, and every Christian has one, can be better accomplished by remaining unmarried, whether for a select period or for a lifetime. And he goes on to say this. He's kind of unpacking what this could look like. The service covers a wide range of possibilities from overseas mission assignments to urban ministry to a life devoted to Christian scholarship to itinerant evangelism to youth rehabilitation At my former church, there were single women who served as pastoral nurses. They're free to attend at almost any moment the mesh of spiritual and physical needs of congregant shut-ins. Another church had volunteer street pastors. They walked the city streets late on weekend nights to provide Christian support brigade for the local police force. The eunuch for the kingdom is the one who voluntarily refrains from marriage and family so as to guard his or her freedom. Why? For the sake of serving the Lord in whatever way he should call. And some of you are doing this. And I just, my respect level for you, my love for you, my honor of you is through the roof high. Some of you, you're single and you're wrestling and I just want to encourage you that maybe this is what God has for you. And it's amazing and it's beautiful and it matters. And yes, there are some doors that just get closed in ministry when you decide to get married that remain open if you are single. There are just some doors that remain open if you are single. This is a big deal. You don't have, ladies, you don't have to marry a pastor to help plant churches, right? By the way, there's a lot of like jacked up pastors out there, so just be careful about marrying pastors. Men, you don't have to get married to be a man. If you are single, you love Jesus, God wants to, he wants to, in a loving way, squeeze your life out like a sponge for his kingdom. Wouldn't you just say yes to that? What would it look like? So, if you're here and you're not married, I want to encourage you to embrace being rooted in Jesus as the ultimate source of your identity and your significance and your value. One of my favorite texts in all of, 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 of Scripture is Isaiah 56, where uh, God, through the prophet Isaiah, says to eunuchs, I'm going to give a better name than sons or daughters to eunuchs, to those who remain single and not married. I'm going to give them a better name than sons or daughters. What's better than being called a son or a daughter? I don't know, but that's coming for those of you who are single. Big deal. God has value. And actually now the way that you advance his mission is not by having babies. It's by making disciples who make disciples. That's a big deal. I want you to embrace being rooted in the community of the church because as P.J. Smythe says, God is opposed to loneliness. He's not opposed to singleness. Those are two very different things. And then John Piper, he says, marriage is temporary, the church is eternal. Could you get a vision of what that would look like, that you've been, you've been called to marry the church, to be committed to the life of the church, to be devoted to the church, because that's never gonna go away. 
And then finally, my encouragement to you if you're single is to learn to take your cues from Jesus and serve like crazy. Can I tell you something that's not popular? Nobody wants to do Philippians 2, which is in humility, counting other people as more important than yourselves and laying your life down for the good of other people. But as a single person, you have a a freakishly good ability to do this. John Stott, he was one of my favorite pastors that's ever lived, and he, he remained single. He never got married. He never had sex and lived a beautiful, thriving life. And he said this. He said, apart from sexual temptation, the greatest danger, which I think we as we face as singles is self-centeredness. We may live alone and have total freedom to plan our own schedule with nobody else to modify it or even give us advice. If we are not careful, we may find the whole world revolving around ourselves. That's what culture wants from you. Jesus wants something very different from you. If you're married, I'm gonna close with this. I think some of us, maybe many of us, need to repent of our view of single people as less than or unimportant or as not fully grown up yet, all of that is 100% wrong. That's wrong. We should view singles with admiration, with respect, and with honor. And as a married couple, I think we have a unique ability to step in the moment to the life of a single person and affirm them and bless them and speak life to them in a way that just does something to their soul that they need. We have a way to step in and bring them in to be family with us to bring them in for birthdays and holidays and celebrations and to honor the the celebrations along the way. We do baby showers and we do wedding anniversaries. What would it look like to to have something special for single people where we honor their accomplishments and the raise they just got at their work and we throw parties and what would that look like? That would be amazing, right? We could create a different culture as a church than what we see in the world. Maybe you could learn to ask good questions. Hey, what's it like to be you? What's it like to, what are things that I do or we do as a community that hurt you? that make it difficult for you? What are some things that we could do to help you? What are some things that we could do that would would actually be a blessing to you? And then allow them to speak into your life. Allow them to speak into your marriage. Allow them to speak into your parenting. Allow them to speak into your relationship with Jesus. You don't have to be married to have phenomenal marriage advice. Just ask the Apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians chapter five on marriage, right? Just ask Jesus who had some pretty darn good things to say about marriage. So listen, what we can do is, as a church is we can create a different culture than the world has that values both marriage and singleness as a gift. And it's not always a grass is greener on the other side deal, but we're learning to wherever we find ourselves embrace the calling that we've been assigned and to live it out being rooted in Jesus.